You may be seated. Um, uh, I want to welcome everyone here. Um, I'm glad you made it. Um, if you would have missed this, you would have not made church. This is the last service. So I just want you to know you guys are last. Um, and that there is a service that starts earlier for the more uh, godly of us. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I was actually a little blown away. I walked in, like, there's more people here. And I'm like, I totally get it. Like, midnight happened. You're like, time to go to bed. Then the alarm goes off at seven. You're like, not that godly. Yeah. All right. Today, what we're going to talk about is the Great Commission, and we're going to, uh, if you've not heard that term, by the end of the, this, you should have it. Uh, for those of you who have not been uh, in the Christian culture for very long, um, we, and, and the church has kind of lost track of this a little bit, but I, I actually see a lot of signs of churches around the U.S. starting to grab it again. But the Great Commission is the great kind of thing we're supposed to be doing. Um, if you know we're in the why series, know the why, and this is the, this is the why. This is what we as redeemed Christ followers are now sent to go do. This is it. This is the main mission, okay? Right? There's nothing, um, I, I, you know, there's nothing more important than what we're going to talk about today, and that is what they call the Great Commission. And I want to just, uh, a lot of you here maybe have thought about the Great Commission, thought about discipleship thought about those things in the past. And today what I want to do is I want, you, I want you to think about what it means to carry out the Great Commission a little differently, okay? What do you need to do in your life to go and make disciples? And today I'm going to just twist the thinking a little bit. I'm going to change the way you think about it. And my hope, my prayer is this, that you will spend at least this week, maybe the next six months of your life, thinking this through, thinking about what you need to do, what you need to change, what you need to think about to help you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, okay? That's what we're going to do today. I'm going to take you there a little bit. We're going to go over the Great Commission, um, and then I'm going to give you a way to think about this that I think is different than the way you think about it now. And that's what we're going to do. But let's start off by reading the Great Commission. Here it is. Then the 11 disciples in Matthew chapter 28 is where we have a clear reading of this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had uh, told them to go. When they saw him, okay, keep in mind he had died and now he's raised from the dead, so this is a pretty surreal moment here. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So let's talk about this real quick. What I want to do is unpack the Great Commission to a degree to help everybody so we're all on the same page of what we're talking about here. And then we'll dive into how do you do this? Because here's the deal. If you as an individual, if I could, I'd point to each one of you, but I won't do that. That's kind of mean. Uh, if each one of you get this and go and practice this, this is where change happens. So if you're here, if I, in fact, I will tell you this, I can honestly say I, I, I like teaching and preaching, but I would, be, I would rather be at home right now uh, drinking some iced tea and, you know, watching the wall than preaching this message if you're not willing to just listen and just and think about it and go and let the, the Holy Spirit wrestle with your heart so you can be a disciple, 
Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I do not want you to physically do this. I want you to mentally in your, in your mind, I want you to mentally raise your hand if you are not making disciples. All right? So, everyone that doesn't have their hand raised, you're free to leave. Um, you're, you're, you should have been here at first service, but we'll talk, we already talked about that. But if you're raising your hand right now and you're like, well, I, I know I'm supposed to do this. I'm not sure. I just don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to do it. I don't know any of that. Today, I'm going to give you your first steps. So if you're raising your hand mentally, this is for you. Got it? If you're not raising your hand because you're already doing it, or if you're not raising your hand because you're just so rebellious, you can't even do that mentally, I don't know what to tell you. All right? Just hang in there. Something's coming. Okay. All right. <clears throat> That's what we're going to do. So first of all, we start off, and we have this really interesting uh, thing that happens. I don't, well, I don't want to skip over it. I want to mention it. We don't have a lot of time to dig into this. But notice they worshiped, but some doubted. And it's funny, uh, the actual, the true translation is they worshiped, but some doubted, meaning the doubters were actually worshiping too. It's like one of those like, whoa, this is too weird. It's surreal, but I'm still going to worship because something amazing is happening here. That's kind of what's going on. In other gospels, they actually deal with one of the doubters. And you see this where Jesus comes and like, you don't believe me? Come touch it right here. Here's, here's the wounds. And that's what happens. Uh, we're not going to get into that, but I want you to notice it's okay to doubt and worship at the same time. Okay. Jesus, there is an act of faith. I believe apologetically and philosophically we can prove our faith has a, lot, a firm foundation, but there is an act of faith. There are some days where you go, "Woo, I'm not sure. This is going to be fun, right? But that's what there is. So that's what it starts off with. But then I want you to catch this other thing. Here's the interesting thing. The other interesting thing about this is that um, uh, Howard Hendricks points this out. Peter denied Jesus three times, okay? Jesus died on the cross, Jesus raises from the dead, and the first thing he does is he goes and confronts the people who kind of denied him, because it wasn't just Peter, by the way, and he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say, like, dude, why didn't you trust me? Look what I got. Look what I did. He basically says, here's the Great Commission. Go do it. He, you know, he took these imperfect men, 11 of them, because one of them didn't make it, and he goes, and he says, now go do it. And not only that, but if you think about the 11 he picked, actually, Tony and I were doing some ministry together. We were heading to Eugene this week, and we were talking about this. If you look at the 11 people he picked, they weren't educated. Probably One of them, Matthew, likely was educated. He's the tax collector. We're not sure about the rest of them, but most of them look like they're fishermen, okay? And, you know, you don't, I mean, I'm sorry if you're a fisherman, but I haven't been around a lot of PhD fishermen, Okay. All right? If I ever do, though, uh, it will be the coolest fishing trip ever. Okay, anyway. Um, but, you know, he picked kind of those guys, and I'm not saying fishermen are awesome. Don't, don't get me wrong. But fishermen are just a different breed. They're not, they're not the educated. They're not the one you think are going to lead the religious movement. And that's who he picks. This is a fascinating thing. He didn't pick a Pharisee or a religious leader. This is who he picks. He spends three years with them changes their lives, and they go and build the entire church which, which stands before you today. It's phenomenal. Okay, we don't have time to dig into all that, but I want you to say, any one of you out there that thinks that you're not good enough to be a disciple, Jesus did this because he loves to take people who don't think they can do it and say, watch this. Do you get it? Okay, so let's keep going. The other thing he does, what's interesting, so he comes with these disciples and he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. 
So he's got the authority. Now, let's talk about this authority for a second. Um, so this week was interesting. I found out that we owe the bank $6,000, okay? Um, I walked into the kitchen, my wife was opening an envelope, and she reads this letter that the bank owes us $6,000. And then she starts laughing. And I'm like, what's the matter? She goes, we owe the bank $6,000. I'm like, why are you laughing? And then she hands me the letter. First of all, the bank uh, wrote it in basically eight-year-old handwriting. This is uh, from the bank, okay? And my eight-year-old son had written my wife a letter that says, you owe the bank $6,000. Now, they, they've been playing bank all week, okay? They've been playing banker. You know, they got like, they took a, a box and they made a little ATM. They've been having fun. But you know what's funny? Why we laugh is, yeah, if you got a letter from the bank saying you owe $6,000, most of us would be like, ooh, you know, I'm in ministry. We don't make a lot of money. That's like a scary thing. But you get this, you realize there's no authority behind it. Right? None. Like, none of you, I mean, hopefully none of you, would go, oh, man, I better figure out how I'm going to pay my kids $6,000. I mean, you know, right? Like, you make their meal. Yeah, I mean, you got leverage, Right? But Jesus comes, and this is what's interesting. In Daniel chapter 7, this is before Jesus come in the Old Testament, we get this picture of who the Messiah is going to be. Now, keep in mind, the entire Old Testament is about the coming Messiah. It's hard, we don't have time to get into that today, but that's what's happening. And there's hints that he's coming, but in Daniel chapter 7, you get to see him. And here's what you see. If you want to read it, Daniel chapter 7, it describes this. It describes, it's one of the only times we get to see the actual throne room where God the Father is. And it describes him as, as, uh, as he's sitting on the throne. There's, there's like, it must be like lava or something coming out from the throne. What a cool office. And, and, and he's got silver hair and he's in a white robe. And it's ancient of days. And there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands, because they don't have a word for millions and millions, worshiping him. Now, I don't know if that to you communicates authority, but I'm gonna say that would be spectacular. A few years ago, uh, my wife and I, we got married. That's why she's my wife. And uh, so we got married and um, uh, for our honeymoon, my parents paid for us to go to England, Scotland and Wales, Ireland. Now, uh, if you don't know me, Christy and I, we claim Scottish heritage, so we, we feel like we're Scotsmen, so that's where we wanted to go. Uh, my dad and I, we've been doing DNA testing and, and heritage. It appears, actually, that my ancestors really like to sleep around, so I got a letter from Ancestry that says, congratulations, you are actually related to everybody. So, um, <clears throat> not true, but uh, anyway, but it's close, like, you know, I've never seen such low percentages for every ethnicity I've ever seen. Anyway. <laughs> So I'm officially everything, but that's okay. Um, and, uh, but we went to Scotland, uh, and we landed in London, and nothing tests your marriage, by the way, more than when you land in a major city like London and have to drive on the wrong side of the street, on the wrong side of the car, and your wife's navigating. Nothing tests more. Uh, so, um, but I, no, we don't have time for that. What happens, we get to London and we go to the uh, downtown, to the, the palace where the queen is. And uh, I'm really excited, but I notice there's a lot of cops. So I'm end up, uh, I, have a law, I do ministry in law enforcement, so I ended up talking to one of the, the, the English bobbies, uh, a woman. And I'm like, hey, man, this is really cool. She goes, well, you're here for a good day. Today is an official state visit 
the Russian prime minister and the queen is hosting the Russian prime minister, and they're going to do a full state visit, and you can watch it if you want. And I'm like, dude, my wife's not excited at all. <laughs> this is our honeymoon. I'm like, yeah. We wait like five hours because she had shown me where to sit, where I get the best view. Five hours, yeah. That's an, I'm so romantic. Five hours of awesome waiting. But it was incredible. So the state, and as, as it got closer and closer, military people start showing up and guns come out. And, and then all the official red robe dudes that don't like move, you know, they actually move and they get ready. And then the procession starts and you see this huge procession. And here comes the, the, the carriage. And I was literally from here to here from the queen and the, and the Russian prime minister. It was so cool. And it was cool because he, they had such great authority such great command and presence, and I was in their presence. Now, I want you to think about this. God, the Father's authority, is that. Not even a snap. Every millions and millions bow before Him. And here we are. Jesus has just come back from the dead. By the way, what's His authority? Well, death can't even. Death doesn't even have authority over Him. Here he is, he's standing there, and he says, all authority has been given to me. Because you know what happens in Daniel 7? So in Daniel 7, you have God the Father sitting on the throne, and it describes him, and millions and millions are worshiping him. And then all of a sudden, Daniel says, and then I saw coming, descending on a cloud, one who looked like the Son of Man. What that basically means is someone who looked human. One who looked like the Son of Man. And he approached the throne. And what's crazy in Daniel, he approaches it as an equal. He doesn't have to bow down. And then God the Father doesn't rebuke him, or he says, now I'm giving all my authority to this one. Nothing will not be under his command. Fast forward, you're in Matthew, and you're reading this, and he says, all authority. That's the authority we have as the church. Take it or leave it. That's the authority you have. So those of you who raise your hand and you go, what, you know, why me? Well, because you have the authority, because Jesus is making you, giving you his authority. He's got the authority. He's like, go make disciples. I'm going to be with you. That's what it says. This is what we're up against. In fact, interestingly enough, D.A. Carson wrote a commentary with a, a bunch of people, and they published it in what they call the NIV commentary. D.A. Carson says this, these verses include the Great Commission, the uniquely Jewish mission of chapter 10 of Matthew and chapter 15 of Matthew now give way to the mandate for a worldwide multi-ethnic ministry. As many as possible, Jew and Gentile alike, all of us, must be given, must be given, not can, is given, must be given the opportunity to be, become a part of the people who will produce the fruit of the God's kingdom. Now, it's interesting, the first thing when I read this is like, oh, let's go look at chapter 10 and let's go look at chapter 15. After I read chapter 15, I'm like, ooh, I might hold off on that one. But I'm going, let's go full bore. I, want, I really want to challenge you today. I'm bored. This is my last sermon for the summer. You know, Dwayne's back next week. So, you know what? Let's just put it all out there. If you're going to complain or whatever, just email Dwayne. Let him know how much you don't like me. And I got free time. Here we go. You ready? Chapter 10. This is what it says. These 12 disciples sent out. Uh, then these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any towns of, of, of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel and go proclaiming this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. 
Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely I give. Uh, free, freely give. Okay, so he is basically, here in Matthew, before the Great Commission, he's giving them a little bit of authority only to reach Israel. Okay, this is a fascinating thing. It's actually a theme of the Old Testament. There's this focus on Israel, a, a deep, tremendous focus on Israel. Okay, and in Matthew, early on in Matthew's gospel, he's pointing out that in his three-year ministry here, when he's working with the 12 disciples, their focus is on Israel, not to the Gentiles. In case you don't know a Gentile is anyone who's not in Israel, uh, Israelite, okay? All right? So that's most of us in here, okay? I'm actually, ironically, through my DNA, this will surprise you, I have a little Jewish in me. I know. I have a ton of Gentile, a little bit of Jewish, like I said, a little free out there. Okay, anyway, so, all right. So, the kingdom of heaven. So, that's the command date. Now, here's the other one. In Matthew 15, he repeats the same thing or the same idea, but this one's a little bit tougher. This one will challenge you a little bit, especially in our politically correct environment, okay? So, I want you to read, listen to this, okay? Here's what he says. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman, a Gentile, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Not good. We should help. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, therefore I don't take care of that woman. I want you to just do that for a second. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take children's bread and toss it to the dogs. It's not politically correct. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Look at that. She's a feisty one. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Okay, I just want you to stew over that. I know in a world that tells you how to think and behave, and Jesus doesn't, he's, he's rough. And this isn't the only one. If you read the book of Matthew, every one of you would be like, whoa. And you know what? I can guarantee you if he were here, here today, he would say, I don't care. I'm going to proclaim the truth and love you. And the world's not going to tell me what love is. And in one reality, by the way, it's very clear from the text, he is doing this. He's taking their, the worldview of his disciples was that they thought of Canaanite people as dogs. And there's all kinds of reasons why I won't get into why. Well, one of the reasons is because dogs at that time were uh, not domesticated. In Israel, they didn't have dogs in their house, but the Gentiles probably did. Okay, so um, they thought, that's weird. You're dogs. So you're hanging out with the dogs. So it's that kind of thing. We don't know, but, but that's what he's doing. But Jesus is doing something interesting. He's setting the woman up for success. You know what he's doing? He's trying to show that her faith is greater than his disciples' faith. It's really kind of cool. All right, that'll help you out a little bit, but I want you to stew over that. That's what, this is how Jesus, Jesus like, you're, I can't give to the dogs. Ooh, yeah, come on, Lord. Can we be politically correct? It's hard. I got to share with my friends. Dude, you think that's bad? Go read the Old Testament. Good luck. You guys should all memorize this verse as your memory verse, and when you're sharing with your friends downtown, this is the verse you should cite. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. But this is, the, this is the God we work with. He says we got to give up our worldview and adapt His. And He's saying, look, I'm rough. I'm going to challenge you. You know, people are not 
politically correct because they want to be politically correct. People are politically correct because they don't like to be challenged. That's why. And this isn't a message on political correctness. I'm just saying that's one thing. When you engage with Jesus, he's going to challenge you on. One of many. All right, let's keep going. So here we go. Early in Matthew, the focus is on Israel. Here's what's amazing about the Great Commission. What does he do? He says, now, okay, I, Jesus, was being an example. I showed you how to reach Israel. Now I want you to go do that with the rest of the world. If you read Acts, you realize how hard this was hard. Peter has these dreams that he's got to go hang with the Gentiles. They're wrestling with It's tough. But that's how they changed the whole world. This is the Great Commission. And it's really interesting as we start looking at this, and many of you may be asking right now, what is discipleship? And we're going to talk about that here in a minute, but because um, you don't know exactly what it means, you hear Jesus saying this, but the reality is, if you want to see what discipleship is, start reading the Scripture. Get in the Scripture, read the Scripture, and all of a sudden you're going to see what Jesus was doing with them, and you'll be like, oh my gosh, okay. And He's radically challenging them to change the way they act, the way they think, the way they do things, and what they believe in, all those things. That's what He's doing. And so if you want to know what discipleship is, really, you've got to read, really, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, realize it was foretold in the Old Testament, you get in the Old Testament, get in the New Testament. The whole New Testament is helping you become a disciple of Jesus. And then he's saying, take that, practice it, do it, don't just talk about it, and go and make disciples. That's what he's basically saying, okay? And there's all kinds of formulas for doing that. The one that Jesus did, though, is he took a tight group of 11 invested in three and 11 of them, very tight-knit, showed them what to do, and then launched them into ministry to change the world. That's what he did. He didn't take a million or a thousand or whatever. He could have done that. He could have built the, big, awesome, the best megachurch ever. I mean, wouldn't that? If Jesus was your actual pastor, that would be pretty cool, okay? I wouldn't even care what the title of the church is, and we spend more time worried about that. Anyway, okay. So, so that's what he did. This is how he did it. So he has a formula. I believe that formula works. Um, we're already finding in the mega church movement, uh, the church is now an inch deep and a mile wide, and there's no depth in the church, and Jesus knew exactly how to do it. I personally believe we need to get back into that. I think you do that through small groups and one-on-one discipleship. All that is true, but I want to talk about why don't we do any of this, okay? That's what I'm asking you, Okay. So we're going to skip, let's skip, Jaron, I, I want to focus on the last part. Let's skip that, that, this next slide. Sorry. Um, I wrote this like five years ago, and I was just telling some people, like, sometimes I want to change it up because it's, you know, I've done this before. So uh, let's skip the next slide. All right, let's go to Mark. So in Mark, this is the key to being a disciple. We're going to read this, and then I want to talk about it. We're going to spend the next, the last part of our time really talking this through. Watch this. In Mark chapter 8, when you ask the question, what does it mean to be a disciple, it says this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Okay, pretty easy so far, right? Are you awake? Okay, just in case you know, cross is that thing that you die on. Everybody ready to go? You get what I'm saying? All right. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. That's awesome. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Then he keeps going. 
What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, you know, calling people dogs, um, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. What he's saying, it happens, a lot of them get to see the resurrection and the transfiguration and all these amazing things. They get to see that he's got the authority. He's the Messiah. So Mark really highlights what key is. And here, here's one of my, this is my proposal. I want you to listen, okay? So many of you are wondering, like, some of you have been a Christian a long time, and you're like, man, I've tried to do this. I've tried to disciple. I've tried to lead my friends to Christ, and I can't do it. And, and, and I'm going to just, I want, you to th- I want you to change your thinking just a little bit. Here's my suggestion. Here's what I want you to think about. I, as I've done this, I've been involved in direct discipleship ministry for 15 years. I've been, a, I've been in ministry uh, for 25 years or something like that. And I have discovered that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not about what I do, but what I sacrifice and give up. I want you to think about this, and this is how I think it works. Here's what happens. You have your own personal ambitions, dreams, all those things, and they're happening, and life's happening, and you're like, I'm going to be the greatest, whatever, stockbroker, or mortgage guy, or lawyer, or you know, construction guy, and I'm going to be the best family man. I'm going to raise a family, and, um, and my kid's going to be an athlete. You know, he's going to be, you know, you got all these things that happen. This is what happens. Then you come to Christ, and what happens when you do that is you just make a to-do list of what do you need to do to accomplish those goals. Then you come, and you go to, and you're like, oh, I want to follow Jesus, and here's what you do intuitively. Every one of us do this. We just add to our list. All right, now, okay, we got to go to soccer, but I got to get to church every Sunday, or at least every other Sunday, or man, once a month. And early service, no, we'll just go second service, right? All right, we'll be second servicers, but we're there. It's on our to-do list. And what we do is we start adding to our list, and nothing changes. You can't figure it out. You have no capacity. You can't do it. And then you like go make disciples. Well, here, okay, to fit this in, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to invite someone, if they ask me, only if they ask me, but if they invite, I'm going to invite them to church, okay? Yeah, that's what I'm going to do, and then hopefully Dwayne will lead them to Jesus. And this is what we do. We add to our personal ambitions and stuff. Every one of us have done it. You know what I found? My job, this is my full-time job, I kid you not. I get paid to do this. <clears throat> For real, I'm not joking. I get paid to go make disciples. I know that's kind of weird, huh? And uh, now I'm specifically, I'm hired by the navigators to go and start movements of discipleship movements in first responder communities, which means I work with cops and firefighters. I go to cops and firefighters and I try to implore them to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5.20, to go make disciples in their agencies. Here's my thinking on that. If we can reach police officers and firefighters for the gospel and they know Jesus and they're reaching others, they have more impact in this, in this world than anybody. That's my thinking. That's why I'm there, okay? So they reach so many people in need. In fact, I was a full-time pastor at a very large church. I was the college pastor, and I was doing ride-alongs. And I remember one day I said, you know what I said? I said, we reach more people for Jesus as a cop than I do as a pastor. And that's what led me down that road. But my challenge was this. Here was my challenge. So many of the cops I worked with, they thought it was my job as the chaplain, because I was the police chaplain, 
to lead people to Christ. So here's what would happen. This actually happened. A, dude, a deputy calls me up one day. He goes, dude, dude. Oh, man, this is awesome. All right. My partner and I have been talking about Jesus, and he is asking questions. He is ready to come and follow Jesus. I just need you to set up a ride-along and close the deal. <laughs> now, the deputy mentioned, I didn't even know the guy. I'm like, okay, dude, so here's what you want me to do. You want me to have a first date with a guy I don't even know and share the gospel when you already talked to him about this stuff and you can't do it? He's like, well, but that's your job. I'm like, Oh, dude, no, 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 no. And I'll never forget this. I had this conversation. I'm like, dude, it's your job, actually. In fact, I shouldn't even have a job here. You should instinctively know you're the one who's called to go and make disciples. Look, Jesus used a bunch of fishermen, okay? Now, I know it's a long shot. Fishermen are a little bit smarter than cops, but, <laughs> but you know, you can do it. I said, how about I just coach you? And I'll never forget, he called me, uh, I don't know, it was like a couple hours later, it wasn't that long, and he goes, oh my gosh, he gave his life to Christ. I could not build more energy into that guy. The Holy Spirit was flowing through him. It was funny, I actually did tell him, I said, it's not your job to lead him. You're just sharing the, the info. The Holy, Spirit will, the, the Holy Spirit's at work, dude. And that's what I do. This is, this is my full-time job, right? I mean, like, you know, some people are sitting at home playing video games all day. All right, and they get paid to do that, apparently. My kids tell me this. I'm like, really? But I'm not far off. All right? I do what Jesus tells you to do for free, but they pay me. Okay? It's a little bit of a scam. Okay? But that's what I do. But this is what you're all to do. This is what you're about. You're about, you're about making disciples. And here's what you need to do. You need to change this. Quit adding Christianity as one more thing on your personal ambitions and checklist. And here's what I want to challenge you to do, every single one of you. I want you to ask the question, what do you need to give up? What do you need to sacrifice to be a disciple of Jesus? I want, I'm serious. I want you to take a piece of paper, and when you're sitting at your son or daughter's soccer practice or soccer game for nine hours or whatever you guys do now, that, I mean, that's just insane, and say, Lord, what do I need to give up? What does my family need to give up? What do I need to give up to sacrifice? It's not about what you do for Jesus. It's about what you give up for Jesus. That's what he says. It's about sacrifice. Take your to-do list and seriously, you know, write it out. Go, okay, I really do want to be, you know, top money manager. I want to be the best preacher. I want to be whatever it is and say, scratch it out. No more. That's not my ambition. My ambition is to do whatever you want, Jesus. I had a very good friend this week who got some kind of rough news about a career choice he was going with, and I'll never forget, he's on the phone, and he's not disturbed by it or anything. He's actually pretty joyous, and he goes, you know what, Chris? All I want to do is what Jesus wants me to do. I'm like, boom. He has no ambitions. No, he's just like, whatever you want, Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. This is, this is it. I guarantee if you just do these little things, it will change your life. I guarantee you. Okay, it happened to me, the Holy Spirit. Give, okay, I want... Before I say it, have you ever thought about this? How is it that we in the church can't even practice the Sabbath? Okay, just so you're aware of what the Sabbath is, it's you get a day off. You don't do anything. Nothing. That's the Sabbath. We can't even do that. Why? Because our agendas are too full. We got too much agenda. 
Or better yet, remember Jordan last week talked about community? You know what's interesting about community? If you don't have a common agenda, a shared community is impossible. You cannot do community unless everybody has the same exact purpose, mission, and agenda. And here's what we do. We join our life groups, but we bring in on all of our personal agendas, and every life group does this. Oh, I can't make it. We got do, 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 do. And I mean, life happens. I've got six kids. I know it can get busy. Life happens, but guess what? What's your priority? What's the command? What's the commission? What are you going to give up? I don't need you to do anything. I just need you to ask, what are you going to give up? And I need you to make a list, and I need you to go, okay, you know what, Lord? For you, I sacrifice this. Here's one. Here's one for you to think about. This is easy. Churches can talk about this freely. I know we talk about it all the time, and no one gets angry about this stuff. But what about your money, your agenda with your money? I don't work here, by the way, so complain all you want. I'm good. What are you going to do? When your agenda conflicts with the Great Commission, are you ready to give up your soul? You know, we are in a, gospel, we're in a grace-focused gospel church these days. Not that grace isn't sufficient, believe me. But it says we're about producing fruit. And how you know you're a believer is when you're producing fruit. It's a really interesting concept. We're not followers of Christ, therefore we're saved. We're saved by grace, and because of that, we want to do for Christ. That's how it works. Are you ready to produce fruit? So here's the second suggestion. You ready? This is easy. This is so easy, guys. All I want you to do is make a list of what you're, and then just start. And some of your ambitions, by the way, Jesus, God is so amazing. He can use some of your personal ambitions and turn them into kingdom ambitions. So it's not like you're wiping this list out. It's you're praying through it like, Lord, do I really need to do that? If you want to be like the top accountant or top CEO or, or top whatever, that's fine, but why? And if you don't have a good why, scratch it out. So that's number one. Here's number two. I want you to call up your best friend who follows Jesus. Go have coffee, and I want you to say, hey, I want to be in community with you, and I want to change the world for Jesus. Will you help me do it? Let's do it together. Partner up. That's all you got to do. Go have coffee. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your fishing buddy. Maybe it's your, eh, sorry, I'm not a woman. I don't know what they call them, like your coffee gal. I don't know. All right? Whatever you, I, I, women work way harder than men. Let me just say that. Believe me, okay? But whatever it is, meet up with your friend. and Do that this week. Just do it. I'm, ti- I'm tired of sitting in the pew not doing the Great Commission. I, I raised my thought hand up and said, I'm not doing it. Can you help me? Great movie to watch this week, just to go with this. J.R. Tolkien, there's a movie about J.R. Tolkien, and what you'll notice in there, J.R. Uh, Tolkien's the one who wrote The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, and all that. He also became great friends with C.S. Lewis later. Uh, actually, and Dwayne told me this, they formed a, g- a little group called The Inklings. But in college, they, four of them, I think there might have been five, I can't remember the movie. Count them in the movie, and then you'll know. Anyway, um, four or five of them get together in college. You know what? They, they all said, we're going to meet, we're going to encourage and strengthen one another. In our club, here's what we're going to do. We're going to encourage one another to change the world. What a cool club. I wanted to call like Steve Brown and go, hey, dude, let's form a club. We're going to call it Change the World Club. I mean, I, I get geeky, sorry. But that's what I want you to do. I guarantee you do those two things. Start learning how to sacrifice. And you're not going to be perfect. That's where grace steps in. It's awesome. Grace is so great. 
It is incredible, but I guarantee your life will start to change. Those two simple suggestions. What are you going to give up? And get a friend. And you know what will happen? You'll get one friend, and then you'll get another friend, and then you get another friend, and all of a sudden you've got a community. And you all have one agenda. Not your each individual agenda. You have one agenda. Go and make disciples. That's how it works. That's what Jesus did. He said, throw down your nets and follow me. The moment you follow someone, you're no longer leading. It's hard. Get a friend, get a group of friends and say, let's do this. I got to meet with a, one of my heroes not too long ago and he was asking, he says, oh, are you in a small group or life group at your home church? I go, yeah. He goes, is it truly a life group? I don't know what you mean. He says, when all we got together 28 years ago, we all committed. We we're going to be in group together for the rest of our lives. We are going to strengthen and encourage each other to change the world. Three of them there are now, one of them is the producer and the lecturer of the Truth Project, which has done phenomenal, amazing things in the kingdom. Another one wrote a book that I won't get into all the guys, but this group has changed the world. Do you want to be a part of that? Do you? What are you going to give up? To go and make disciples of all the nations. What are you going to give up to watch Jesus do some really cool stuff through you? Not through me. I could spend the rest of my time. And by the way, I am two minutes early right now. So I'm going to waste it up because I don't want to get a reputation. Okay. I could spend a lot of time just telling you what God's done. I mean, amazing, downright cool things. And I've seen God work in people I've got to disciple. That's even, oh man, it's so cool. A guy who came to Christ um, prayed a really big prayer as a prayer. I'm like, ooh, this one's going to be interesting. And, they, and, and God answered the next day. It was like one of those, all right, Lord, I don't doubt you. All right, I give. I mean, it was like, it was funny. I was discipling him and I was trying to like, okay, pray it. But if God doesn't come through, you know, understand, you know, I was doing that whole thing. And then God did it. And when he told me, I thought he was kidding. And then I watched God and I'm like, and he was so excited. He's almost crying. He's like, God is so cool. And I got to be a part of that. Do you want to be a part of that? Are you ready to go make disciples? Give up your agendas, ambitions, your plans, it's really interesting when Jesus deals with the family, you know what he's telling? He's like, give up your family. They're not my mom and dad or my brother and sister anymore. You are. Whew. Ooh. Oh, that's hard. But we got to be willing to follow the truth wherever it leads. So I hope right now we're going to bow our heads and I want you to raise your hand mentally. Or you can do this one physically. We're not looking around. If you are, then you're not listening and that's okay. You're a rebel. We all are. I want you to mentally or you can physically raise your hand, and I want you to say right here, right before God, right now, at Eastridge, I want to make disciples. Just raise your hand. You can do it mentally. I want to make disciples, and this is going to be my prayer. Father God, with all authority, we come before you. You have it all. You have the power to change lives. And I pray right now for the people, the men and women of Eastridge who are here in this place right now. 
that if they're mentally or physically raising their hand, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will begin to work in their life. Will you convict and help them understand and help them obey what you have called them to do? We love you for using us. Let us see you work in powerful, real ways because we will take up our cross and follow you wherever you lead. And all God's people said, Amen.